We're in Galatians. If you haven't turned your Bible there, you can turn there now. Galatians chapter 5. And we're getting into a very exciting portion of Galatians. Um, this, uh, just to give a little history for me personally, this is the uh, passage that I preached my first sermon on in uh, Cedarville University at Chapel. All the senior Bible majors had to preach one message. And so when my turn came, this was my passage that uh, I selected. And so that was really my first full sermon in a setting like that. I'd done some Sunday school lessons, of course, and things along that line, devotionals and things that even into high school. Um, But that was my first uh, stand-up and preach it to a whole group. And there's a group. There's... So my first congregation was about 800 um, of my peers, and that's a pretty rugged assignment, but the Lord was good. So I tried to dig out the old notes from it, and I still have them, to see if I could preach the same sermon today, (laughs) but I don't need to. So hopefully I've matured a lot since then uh, in God's Word and uh, as well as in the ministry of, of proclaiming His truth. So let's go, Lord, in prayer as we prepare to get into a very precious passage of Scripture um, and a very powerful one in directing our lives. So let's go, Lord, in prayer first. Lord, God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word before us and your spirit within us, people around us, that we might uh, look into your word, investigate it, and not just to gain some insight or uh, just a rudimentary knowledge of it, but that we might uh, bring it into our hearts and conform our hearts' desires to your desires and that it might uh, bring us into conformity with your Son and that we might live more obedient because of our time in your Word that might challenge us, perhaps not with something we didn't know already, um, but afresh that we might... Uh, Renew our spirits in your truth this evening and that it might reap a harvest in our lives throughout this week and the weeks to come. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. So Galatians chapter 5, we have uh, already handled two passages, two messages out of here, and we're now going to take a sampling of some of the verses that I have kind of skipped over Um, some phrases that I have not developed extensively, um, but we want to uh, bring a balance point. And uh, thus far throughout the book of Galatians, we've really developed the uh, liberty that we have in Christ, that we are not using the law as a means of God's grace, um, because then grace ceases to be grace. And so the law cannot be that which saves us. It cannot be and never has been the the means of men coming to God. It has always been the measure by God of men. And we have always failed to measure up. And so that was the look at the law. And so we looked at the fulfillment of the law in Christ Jesus, and now we have liberty. And verse 1 tells us to stand stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And we had a warning there, and then we also uh, looked at some facets of that last week in terms of those that are seeking to rob us of our liberty. Uh, but we, I've skipped over several 
passages or phrases. That is really what it is. It's not even sentences. It's phrases. Um, in verse 6, if we want to jump down to there, it says that, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And I have purposefully put off talking about that last word there. And, of course, we come to verse 13, having a very abrupt and uh, harsh term being used there in verse 12 that uh, he wishes that they would emasculate themselves, so mutilate themselves. Um, in verse 12, we come to verse 13, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. And there is that same theme that started off in verse 1, liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And again, uh, we are going to um, see the uh, negative results if we reject um, this law that we live by. And it's not really a law in terms of, of do this and or if you fail to do this, but rather it is the rule, it is the principle of our liberty. And so Paul's going to try to head off the argument that Judaizers are going to use that if you follow Paul's teaching, you can live and do whatever you want, however you want. You can be as sinful as you want, and, and uh, he recognizes that that's going to be an argument that's raised up against the idea of Christian liberty. And so he's going to head that off, and, and really the, the balance of the book of Galatians is doing just that, heading off this idea that somehow... Um, if you're free in Christ, you can do whatever you want. And I've encountered a few congregations in my time that uh, have really pushed that a little bit. We have liberty in Christ. And I remember my internship um, having between um, college and seminary, I had a summer internship and uh, at a mission church in Michigan and uh, boy, that church was really into their liberty, and they were a young mission church, um, and uh, the uh, one main family in the church, and their children and grandchildren, their, those families, uh, boy, they just wanted me to, to know that they are free in Christ. We have a great liberty. But what they did was they abused that liberty, and they did exactly what the uh, Judaizers would have complained about Paul's teaching, is that if you take that and and go with it too much in the flesh, you're going to end up in this position that you can do whatever you want and no one can judge you. No one can judge me because I'm free in Christ. I can eat what I want. I can do what I want. I can be what I want. Um, and in fact, that same concept is driving some today um, in some pretty horrific sin. You know, we're free in Christ to be LBGT, LGBT. I, I don't know, all those. Um, the lesbian movement, the, the gay movement, is using that in, in Christian churches that are perverting the truth and saying, oh, you're free, you're free in Christ to express yourself, to be who you are, to explore all these areas, that there are no constraints anymore upon you um, in Jesus Christ. There is just liberty. And so Paul's anticipating this 
eventuality. He's anticipating that some people might take it that way, and he's anticipating the Judaizers countering his instruction on liberty um, with that same argument. And in fact, in Romans, this comes up where he talks about grace, and he says, what? Because grace abounds, should sin abound more? And his response is, God forbid. Don't let that happen. Don't get that muddled in your mind that somehow liberty in Christ means that it is now a moral free-for-all for the church. That is, that we have no constraints at all. But rather, we see that now we have no inhibitions for righteousness. We have nothing uh, working against us toward righteousness is the liberty that we have. We have been shackled to sin for all these years. When we receive Christ our Savior, those shackles to sin are broken. And now we have a freedom to be righteous that we did not have before. And this is Paul's argument. And so it is no mistaking that he's going to go into an extensive list. We're going to talk a little bit more next week about it. Of here's how the flesh was. And here's who you were before. And now here's who you should be now. And he's going to be very specific and direct. Um, but And so he's going to give us a very firm application of the principle that we're going to study tonight. And that principle is that our liberty is not freedom of the flesh. It is freedom from being shackled to the flesh. And so what is it that, that now is the principle that directs our behavior and our activities? Uh, what is it that, that moves us now in making decisions day to day of what shall I wear? What shall uh, my entertainment be? What shall my uh, meals be? What day of the week shall I worship? What, uh, and go right down the list. What, what is it that drives this now? What are the parameters and what are the determining factors in my decision-making process? And so Paul doesn't want to rob us of that liberty. We are free in Christ. But it says it doesn't mean that you are free to do whatever you want to serve your flesh. But rather, you are confined by only one rule. And that rule is our love. And so he has combined these two ideas that liberty is, has a boundary and that boundary is our love. And if we do not have that in our hearts, then according to First John and John itself, are you any of Christ? The love of God shall rule in our hearts. That's the rule. That's the principle. That's the driving facet of our decision-making is our love. And uh, we're going to have a little bit of a struggle with a part of this um, verse, but um, hopefully I'm going to address that to your satisfaction, Um, but that's what's going to drive us now. This is what uh, we are going to measure our activity by in our decision-making is is this loving toward others. Um, John is much more focused on our love toward God, um, but he also talks about loving one another. And that that dual facet, do I love God and do I love one another? Is this a loving thing toward God, or is this just a selfish thing that I'm doing? Is this just for me? Is this just my interests at work, or am I considering others before myself? And so we have this instruction that we use the liberty not for our own flesh, but through love we serve one another. Um, And this is something lost on this generation. Um, In fact, there are several books out, um, and I have several of them, uh, even going back to school, which is a long, long time ago, I know. Um, but uh, 
the idea of service, and one of the books I have is called uh, The Care and Feeding of Volunteers, and how to keep them motivated to serve God. Okay, well, you've got to send notes of encouragement. You need to you know, let them know. You give them good instruction, give directions, and, and time. I mean, there was all this work, but also the whole idea of that, that one of your responsibilities is to kind of prop them up. And um, I struggle with some of that because God's Word calls us that if we have a genuine spirit-given love that is an expression, a reflection, if you will, of the love of God in our life, that its manifestation is not going out living however you want for yourself, but its, it's fundamental manifestation of the love of God in your life um, isn't really how much you read the Bible and, and uh, isn't really uh, all these lists of do's and don'ts, and we're going to see that really played out in the fruit of the Spirit but the real manifestation of the power and the reflection of the love of God in your life is your service to others. That this drives your thinking and your decision-making. How can I serve others and thus serve God? And remember, that is the expression of the love of God. How do we know that God loved us? Well, he served us. He sent his son to die for our... You know, remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave... And we can stop the verse right there and we have the, the principle. If you have the love of God in you, you will give. Now, we often associate giving with the offering box, um, but that's not really what I want to focus in on. That we give of ourselves, that we meet the needs of others, that that becomes a priority for us, whether that's within our family, that I'm going to meet the needs of my uh, wife, my husband, my children, my parents. I'm going to seek their well-being, their benefit. I'm going to seek the needs within my spiritual family of our church, not only the local church, but the universal church. I'm going to, I'm going to look at their needs and see how I can meet them and how God might use me to meet those beyond even my imagination. Um, and, and how I can be, uh, a minister, uh, laid open. How can God use me to serve others? And perhaps the most tragic, the most horrific circumstance for a Christian to be in where I could imagine, no wonder you doubt your salvation, is when they are claiming a relationship with Christ and not involved in serving God at all. I mean, even from the little children, that's why in our World Life Clubs we have the little service awards and the mission awards and we give, we want to communicate something to them, and that is, is that the love of God means that we're going to serve one another. We're going to take the time to serve, even if that's our family, if it's within the church, if it's something very practical, um, like prayer, or if it's something very impractical, like picking up, oh wait, those are reversed. Picking up trash is very practical, and prayer is impractical, right? No. Something very forceful is our prayer life, and, and that we don't pray focus on ourselves, but we intercede for others. We pray for their needs. And so we find that uh, we are called to this, and this is something that uh, is a evidence. This love for others, love for God, is in our service one to another. And it's not going to be any mistaking that we get down here uh, that many of these are going to be self-denying. They're going to be relational. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, how many of them are relational? I mean, we're not talking about being kind to yourself, are we? 
And the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Does that mean being kind to yourself? Is that what it's talking about? No, we recognize that what he's referencing there is being kind to others. When he talks about uh, being uh, good, goodness, long-suffering, well, we're all long-suffering with ourselves, right? Yes, we are. We are all very long-suffering with ourselves already. We don't need the Spirit, Holy Spirit to help us in that respect. Um, I can tolerate myself a lot. Even when I can tolerate my own obnoxiousness, I can tolerate my own temper, I can tolerate my own uh, ideas a lot. Um, no, when it talks about being um, long-suffering, it's talking about others. And then, of course, peace. And, and we see that these are relational and that God anticipates us that if we're going to have the love of God in our life, that it's going to drive our decision-making not to feed ourselves, not to be our self-interested, not to focus on our own interests uh, and uh, needs, but rather to focus on others. That that uh, is our defining characteristic. So we say, well, does the church love one another? And I love when people say, well, you're a loving church and, and to someone. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Oh, well, usually what they mean is you're just friendly. But what is a loving church? A loving church is someone who will serve you, not just greet you. They will serve you. Um, and whether they like you or not, and whether you are um, able to respond at all um, is irrelevant to them. They'll serve you. And... Christ tells us to serve the least of these. But that's the real measure of your love for God. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Be the servant of all, Christ says, right? And so that is the defining characteristic is of, of serving others. And this creates a boundary for our liberty. And so now suddenly... Instead of going off in every direction of uh, fulfilling my fleshly appetites or interests, self, um, now I recognize these, this very important boundary to my liberty, and that is I will only do that which benefits my capacity to serve others. I'm going to engage myself in that which will benefit others. And and that is, and you might think, well, that's a pretty small box now you just put me in. You took me out of the law, and now you put me in. No, it's not a small box. It is a very large one. Um, the problem is, is that we tend to be so myopic in understanding of, of, uh, and so, of service, and so self-interested that we seldom recognize the necessity of looking at how can I serve. And that is, there's a lot of breadth and depth and, 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 and height to this idea of serving others. Um, and so we're not going to confine that. And I see a lot of people trying to confine the spiritual gifts into a, this list. Well, I don't see it that way. I, I see a great breadth of God calling us to service in many capacities uh, and not limited to the ones listed in the spiritual gifts uh, passages in Ephesians and and Romans, Corinthians, and others. And so we find that uh, through love we are to serve one another. This defines us now. So I will go so far here, but as soon as I encounter a situation that my service to someone else is hindered by this activity, I will no longer persist in it. I will reel that back in, and I will confine myself 
Not because I have to, but because I desire to, to enhance my service to them. And so their expectation uh, or their uh, weakness, uh, Paul talks about this in Romans about eating meat a lot and the dietary issues. Um, They have a weakness there, so I will not press that issue on them. I'm not going to force feed them uh, meat because they don't feel like they should eat meat. I recognize their weakness. I want to continue to serve and minister to there. And so in response to that, I will confine myself. I can do that. I know some of you don't think I could possibly ever live like that, but I would do that. I'm not going to sit there and harass them over their weak flesh, or weak faith, I should say, the weak faith that they have, that they don't feel they can eat meat in that setting. And by the way, the issues involved there are kind of different than the issues involved today, I think, in large respect. Um, And so it has nothing to do with idolatry in our minds, and that's... uh, less spiritual issue today is what goes around in in those clothes today. But we have this boundary. And so I'm going to love God. I'm going to enjoy my liberty, but I'm going to recognize that that enjoyment is fullest. It is complete. It is real. Not when I exploit it for myself, but when I exercise it uh, for the benefit of others. And we come to verse 14, and we have a little bit of a challenge here uh, because of what Paul says. And uh, kind of an interesting declaration, he says, verse 14, for all laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when Christ was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? Um, we seem to have a dual response. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You say, okay, you have to love God and love your neighbor. And so we have a dual word, if you will. And now Paul is boiling it down and saying, no, all of the law is really summarized in the idea of you'll love your neighbor as yourself. That you're going to put their interests on an equal plane with your interests in your decision-making. Um, you already have your interests at heart. You know what they are, but it takes a little work to find out what other people's needs are and interests and to bring them up to that level. We'll talk about a little bit about that. But theologically, um, this is a sound statement for Paul to make. Now, remember where we have been in Galatians. What has been one of his major arguments? How has the law been fulfilled in Christ Jesus? And so... Um, By receiving Christ as our Savior, we have already accepted the love of God in our life. And so he is saying for the believer now, his understanding of the law is not that we are in an animotic relationship with God, that uh, there is a need to meet a standard, um, but rather we have already recognized that he is the Lord. We've already recognized Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've already recognized our need and that Christ fulfilled that need, that we were sinners, that God is holy, and uh, we have been now infused with, we have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ, um, that that is now our possession. And so um, our perspective on the law, we often talk about the first laws being man's relationship to God and the balance of the law being man's relationship with each other. And Paul is saying, well, we can really boil it down even a little bit farther. And that is we can boil it down to just your relationship with others. 
Well, why? Because I can see in your relationships with each other what your relationship with God is. And this kind of goes along with James's idea of faith, right? You talk about your faith, I'll show you mine. Your faith without works is a dead faith. You claim to love God and don't love one another, you're a liar. Truth isn't in you, right? This is consistent with John, with Peter, with um, all of these, that, uh, with James, that, that there has to be an outworking. If there's a reality in your life, then it has an expression and so um, we are not denying that there needs to be a love for God. We are simply saying that the love for God is most evident uh, to human eyes from our perspective by you exercising love for one another. That that is a supernatural, divine trait. It is the evidence that God is in you, that you love one another. And therefore, I do not have to come up to you and say, do you love the Lord? I can see it in your service to his people and beyond, to the world, through the gospel. And so we find him uh, boiling it down even farther that for our perspective, um, what we really need to examine is, do you love your neighbors yourself? Um, remember, this is written to a church that is going through a deep divide over a very important theological issue. Now, what, are the, what, is the, what is the boundary of that? Uh, and we need to talk about that a little bit, especially given verse uh, 12, right? There's a boundary there too. So when we encounter people, our first thing is, well, to, I want to love them, so I'm going to buckle to them and I'm going I'm to deal with them. That's not what Paul's calling us to do, is to just be these Christians that just get run over by people who have all of their issues, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a love that says, I will compassionately look and I will be careful in the exercise of my liberty not to limit my ministry to you. So that there's nothing I have done to limit my ministry to you. And I want to be careful in that respect. But I've seen instances where people have said, well, we can't take that stand because we're going to limit who we can minister to. And what they're talking about not taking a stand on is some of the very theology that Galatians has just talked about. And that is, well, if we compromise it a little bit here, we'll get more people. Don't you love the world? Don't you want them to, not the worldliness, but don't you have a love for them to reach them the gospel? Um, yes, I do. But it doesn't call me to compromise truth because that will never reach them. That is not loving them. And so we are, we are talking about exercises of personal liberty. We are not talking about truth. We're not talking about doctrine. Uh, we're not talking about tolerating errors so I can minister to them. Um, and I've seen pastors that have done that. And, I've, and, and it's, it's very tempting. We'll put it like that. Um, because you're going to encounter these individuals that come in. We've encountered them. Um, they have their pet issue. And we say, well, we can... If you allow us to minister to you, you know, we, we handle them with kids' gloves, and then we learn that this isn't a matter of a weakness of their faith, but rather a very deep-seated agenda that they want to enforce upon everybody and press upon everyone. And at that point, we, the, the, most, the least loving thing we can do is allow it to persist. 
This is what Paul's saying. I'm not going to let these guys destroy you theologically. That's not loving to you. It's not loving to the church. Uh, and ultimately, it's not even loving toward those that are perpetrating this against you. And so we're going to take a stand. I mean, remember, the chapter start off with the word stand. That implies you're going to have to resist someone. And so he's not calling us to, in love, serve one another, that we just get run over by everything out there because we want to serve everybody. And there's a, I, there's a philosophy like that in our churches today. Uh, the seeker mentality churches that, you know, we don't want to offend anybody. Well, then you don't stand for anything. And there's a great danger there. And so we are called to take this stand, but understand what it means by that I'm going to hold back and I'm going to limit my own liberty uh, so that I can minister. It does not mean I am going to uh, be... Uh, willing to concede any truth in that respect, but I'm going to um, firmly and in love and with gentleness and with kindness, I want to correct them. I want to instruct them in righteousness and if necessary, rebuke them. Um, But there comes a time where that um, fails and we simply say, go mutilate yourself. You know, (laughs) that's when we use that kind of terminology And so we come to this idea of liberty and love having to balance this. And this is the key word, I think, in the passage here, that we have this balance. They recognize that in my personal exercises, how do I live, what choices do I make, that I am going to be considerate of others. Well, I want to minister to those people. I want to minister to those people. I want to minister to those children. We talked about them this morning. So I want to minister to them. Well, what does that require of me? And it does require something of you. Children are very adept at picking out hypocrites. They really are. They can't communicate it so much. They won't say so much, but they recognize it in the home, um, in word of life clubs, in church. They can recognize it. They can say, well, you know, it's one way here and it's another way over there. And they'll quickly pick up on that. And so... Being able to minister to children demands something of your life. It demands a consistency. And we strive to have that. And, um, you know, if you're going to tell them to be in church and to read their Bible and pray, um, and you're not doing any of those things, uh, you're going to have a problem with me. Uh, And so we're calling, when I think of, I want to serve them, well, now that makes demands of my life. Because I want to serve them, I have to show them an example of godliness. I have to show them an example of righteousness. I have to show them an example of faithfulness. I have to show them that example. And so it makes demands of my life. And so I want to serve over here. Well, now I have to make an example of myself. I have to be able to stand against the sin that has captivated them. And so you want to minister to a certain group of people, okay? And, and, uh, and I really appreciate the inner city people. They have a heart that I, I've been blessed by some who uh, have that as their ministry focus. And one of my classmates, and, and I'm still friends in Facebook with him, and uh, boy, inner city ministry, they brought into their home. I mean, they just 
100% given to it. And, you know, he's one of my heroes. Is he? And I look at that ministry and I applaud it and the demands that it makes of him. But it demands something of him, a consistency, and those people see it in his life, that there is, it's real, it's the real deal. And if you're going to meet them, though, you don't go out there and be like them. You don't go in the inner city and, and prostitute yourself because you're dealing with prostitutes. No, you take a stand, and you go in there, and you stand for righteousness in the midst of all that muck and sin. It's the same thing in any environment. You don't go out there and join them in their sin to reach them for Christ. And that is an attitude that I've been encountering for over 20 years among young people in youth ministry. Back when we were involved in Awana, and I was a speaker at camp and things, and I'd make that declaration, and I'd have all kinds of young people arguing with me, saying, no, we... And I said, you're, so you think that you should go dress like them, talk like them, listen to their music, engage in their activities, because you're going to reach them for Christ. And they were sure that that was the way, they were been taught that that's the way you're going to reach them for Christ. No. You're not going to reach them for anything, because you're no different than them. And so, recognize the balance here. We're not talking about uh, groveling to every whim of every person we want to minister to, but rather we are recognizing that I'm not going to steamroll over them with my Christian liberty. Well, I'm just free to do that, and if you can't deal with this, that's your problem. No, it's not their problem. It is your problem. The problem is in your heart that you're willing to steamroll over people and with no consideration of the fact that you've just... Um, offended them in major way that will prevent you from ministering to them. And we're not talking again about staying for theological truth. We are talking about your freedom to exercise your life. How you live your life. The things you are participating in. And again, we can list off a group of things. In fact, in the olden days, like when I was a kid, <laughs> those are the olden days now, um, we used to have church covenants. How do you remember church covenants? Um, when I grew up, as the inside cover of your Bible. They had printed and pasted a church covenant. And we would read that probably once or twice a year. We'd read the church covenant. I noticed that none of you raised your hand that you recognized church covenants. Um, I haven't used them in my ministry. But the church covenant says we will not engage in this. We will not. And so I remember every couple, twice a year, growing up, We'd flip that thing open, and we'd all read that and covenant together. We would not uh, consume alcohol. We would not use tobacco products. We would not um, go to movie theaters. We would not, uh, there's something else we were not supposed to do. There's some things like that. And then there was the things we were going to do, that we'd be faithful in church attendance, we'd be faithful in praying for one another, be faithful reading God's word. And so there was a covenant, and we would covenant together. We would participate in these things, and we listed them off. Um, We don't use the covenant because it is no replacement for this passage. It just isn't adequate. It's, it's kind of a skeleton framework, maybe. Um, and we could maybe look at, can you imagine today's covenants? You know, about you'd have to get into um, 
a lot of different areas. Uh, uh, it would be scary, the covenant I would write for this church. You would be, you would be startled by it. Um, what I would consider uh, participation in this world versus what you might consider participation in this world. Um, and uh, we don't need that. That's not another, we don't need another law. We have a covenant. The covenant is love one another and serve one another. And whatever action you're involved in, if it is not beneficial or not moving you towards ministry to others, then don't participate in it. If it doesn't draw men to Christ, if it doesn't strengthen and edify the saints, don't participate in it. It's that simple. If it is not excellent, above reproach, don't think on those things. Think on the things that we're called to think upon. And so this is the, the boundary line. This is the fence that we have in our faith, in our liberty. Um, and I seek to honor that. And when I encounter people that are caught in some activity, I'll ask them the question, are you doing this for you? Or are you doing this with any thought of anyone else? And um, I'm probably most forceful in that with parents. Are you doing this for you, or are you having any thought about what it's doing to your kids? Any thought at all about your behavior in reference to your children? Oh. Any thought in reference of what you're doing compared to um, the newest Christian in our church? Any thought in reference? Well, I have to be consistent. If I'm not... um, I'm not setting myself up to be able to serve that person because they're not going to receive my ministry to them, my attempt at ministry to them, because they're seeing an unfaithfulness there. And so we look at those, and this is the parameter of our liberty, that we are not going to just use the idea, and I've seen it, like I said, I I was involved in that ministry, and I'm not going to use this phrase, I'm free in Christ, you can't judge me, Um, Boy, as soon as that comes out of your mouth, you better go, because you just spoke a very selfish statement. Because you didn't understand this verse. Your freedom is confined, not by me and not by God. Your freedom should be self-confined by your love for others. But I love them enough not to do that. And I love them enough to do this, though I don't necessarily enjoy it or like it. Um, but your joy will come as its fruit is born in their lives. And so we have here really a measure of ministry, and it's no mistaking that the first fruit of the Spirit listed there is love. And uh, this is the defining quality that we're after. Uh, And Christ has done all this work for us. We're free. We don't have the law. But, uh, boy, we can certainly confine ourselves if we just consider is this a loving thing? Is this going to open up doors of ministry for me to serve them? Or am I just serving my own interests? And that balance um, is something to strive after every day 
you're going to fail. I've failed to do it. And we ask for God's forgiveness. The alternative is if we're all self-seeking, we will consume one another. Because self-seekingness will always destroy others to our own, we think our own benefit. But in fact, it destroys everyone. We end up mutually destroyed by it. And so the call of God, be free. As free as love will let you be. And if you really love people, you're going to be very careful. I would not want anyone to think that they can go out and sin by looking at my life. Pastor did it. I can do it. And if that leads them into something that is wrong for them, I don't want that to happen. If it limits my ability to minister the word to them, I don't want it in my life. And that's the boundaries of our individual liberty in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word and for its truth. And we recognize we all struggle with this self that we want to serve all the time. And Lord, help us to see others and their needs, uh, that we might not compromise your truth, might not compromise righteousness or holiness, but that we might be willing to humbly limit our liberty even as we stand for its fact that we limit its expression that we might serve both our brethren and the lost around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us the wisdom to balance this. We, we pray for your spirit to help us in understanding it and to apply it uh, on a daily and hourly moment by moment basis. We praise in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.